Moses prayed that prayer, Moses asked to see the glory of God. And God told, remember what God said to Moses? He said, you can't look on my face and live. But he said, I will put you, I'll hide you in this cleft of this rock. I'll cover you with my hand. And I'll just, I'll let you see my back parts. And God passed before Moses and put him in that rock and covered him and just let him see his back parts as he passed by. And he saw, uh, he saw a part of the glory of God. Amen. He spent that time with the Lord and, and his face glowed, didn't it? He had to put on a veil when he went to talk to the people because his face was glowing from being in the very presence of Almighty God. We need some glowing faces tonight. <laughs> Praise God. Well, do you have your Bibles with you this evening? Let's turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 6. I will have to say my wife was right when she told me a, two, three weeks ago we were sitting there, uh, and uh, she was, I don't know, was, we, were, we were doing our morning Bible reading or something. But anyway, she said, you know, because my goal was to get through a chapter a week, right? And uh, she said, you know, you're never going to get through Proverbs chapter 6 in one service. I said, what? What makes you say that? She said, I know you. And she was reading Proverbs 6, and she said, there's too many places here. For you to get for you to get bogged down, and she was right, amen. Of course, now uh, in in my defense, I was gone one Wednesday, okay, but this will be my third uh, Wednesday night. But we will finish this chapter tonight. All right, praise God by the help and grace of God. We will finish chapter six of Proverbs tonight. Last. Wednesday night, and this, this whole chapter, this whole chapter of Proverbs has been on the, the topic, on the subject of avoiding the pitfalls of life. And Solomon, of course, here is warning his son about the pitfalls that he needs to avoid in life. And uh, he's given, giving him and us godly wisdom from the Holy Spirit on how to avoid life's pitfalls. We talked about avoiding the pitfall of foolish debt in verses 1 through 5 of Proverbs 6. We talked about, secondly, in verses 6 through 11, avoiding the pitfall of laziness. Boy, we got a lot of shouts at night. Praise God. <laughs> no, but be diligent. You know, Solomon talked about not co-signing for loans and being careful with debt. And he talked about um, he talked about considering and looking to the ant, how diligent the ant was in being a worker and a laborer. And if you'll be diligent, and what he was teaching his son, if you'll be diligent to work and to labor and to, to do those things, God will bless the work of your hands. I'm trying to not get bogged down again, but be diligent and not be lazy, but have a good work ethic. Amen? 
And Brother Terry here, you know, he owns a business. He knows how hard it is to find good help and people that are willing to work. And uh, Brother Dwayne back there, same thing. I'm sure finds it's hard sometimes to find good people that are willing to work and, and give a good day's work for a day's wage. All right. Thirdly, we talked about avoiding worthless and wicked people, that they how they would influence us. And then last Last week, we talked about avoiding what the Lord hates, the seven things that God hates from uh, verses 16 through verse 19. So we did kind of get bogged down last week because we only covered those three, uh, four verses. But tonight, we want to talk about and go on from verse number 20, pick up with verse number 20, and talk about how Solomon, how Solomon, uh, speaks to his son to avoid an immoral lifestyle or to avoid a sinful lifestyle or to avoid temptation and allurement to sin. And that's something that we have to be very careful, all of us do, is to avoid that alluring, allurement and, and um, enticement of the world and the flesh and the devil and the things that, that the enemy wants to try to draw us away from Christ and, and draw us away from the things of God. So look at verse number 20 of, of chapter 6. He said, my, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment, speaking of the Word of God, the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So here in these verses, Solomon is reminding again, reminding his son, his children, the generation to come. He's reminding them of the value of God's Word. He's reminding them of the value of the commandments of God. And, you know, you would say, well, Brother Rick, he said to keep the uh, your father's command and don't forsake the law of your mother. But Solomon's Solomon and 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 uh, his his they were they were they were teaching the word of God. Um, they were teaching, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and giving this wisdom and giving the word of God. So when he's talking about uh, the father's commands, the mother's commands, the law of your mother. And, and tying them around your heart, he goes on to talk about how the commandment is a lamp and a light and reproofs of instruction of the way of life. So he's referring to the Word of God. He's referring to the commandments of God. And so he's reminding his, his son and his children of the value of God's Word. I don't think we can stress that too much tonight, the value that is in the Word of God 
and in knowing the Word of God. Solomon here is talking about the words and the commandments of, of the Lord and, and uh, talking about the, the Word of God being a living book. How many know the Word of God, the Bible, is a living book? This book is alive. It breathes. Hallelujah. It's the Word of Almighty God, and it is, it is alive. It is God's Word. Uh, that it's spoken to us. And I'm so glad for the Bible, aren't you? I'm so glad that we have a Bible that is God's revelation to us and God's Word to us. And uh, so he, go, he talks about here not forsaking the law. And he says in verse 21, To bind these commandments uh, continually upon your heart, and tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you. And when you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. I, I like that because he speaks here. He talks about how the Word of God will guide us during the day and how the Word of God will, will guard us during the night. The, the, God's Word is a guide for us and it is a guard for us. It leads us and it protects us. And that's why it's so important that we know the Bible. And that's why it's so important that we come and, uh, you know, to church and hear the Word of God preached and hear it taught. He says it will speak to us when we awaken. It'll, it'll be there to guard us at night, and it'll speak to us when we awaken. And you know what? I, 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 here's, here's my practice and my belief, is that the first thing that we should do when we arise in the morning is to seek God through His Word and through prayer. I don't believe there's any better practice that anybody can, can get in the habit of doing than, than, than Bible reading and prayer first thing in the morning before you start your day. Amen. You know, if you got to have that cup of coffee, whatever, and which I do, and uh, to get my to get myself going and get my blood pumping, but uh, it's my coffee and my 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 scriptures, and every morning. So we need to seek God through His Word and prayer. And the last thing every night, um, it should be um, the Word of God. Read some scripture, um, meditate on some scripture, read a verse or two, whatever. Before you retire at night. In other words, I think Solomon here is saying that we need to make the Bible, make the Word of God a priority in our life. Because he talks about it in the morning and he talks about it in the evening. He talks about it when you're waking up and he talks about it when you're going to sleep. Amen. I believe that's the way we should be. We should have the, the Word of God and have Almighty God on our heart, on our mind, in our thoughts, in our talk, all things throughout the day. The Bible says from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Amen. Praise God. So the word of God and prayer so important to our lives. Now the teachings from God's word Solomon, notice what he says. He says that the teachings of the word of God are to be bound upon the heart and, are, and tied around the neck. 
What does he mean by that? When, when he makes statements like that and he says to take the commandments of God and bind them continually, continually upon your heart and tie them around your neck. Well, the, the Word of God, he's saying, I believe it has got to be a vital part of your life. It's got to be not just in your head or in your mind or in your thoughts, but it needs to be in your heart. He said to bind the Word of God, the commandments of God, upon your heart. Well, how do you do that? You do it by reading. You do it by meditating. You do it by, by pondering the Word of God. I was, I was talking to Brother Steve the other day. We were talking, and, and uh, you know, about quoting Scripture and things, and and uh, people say, boy, you know, you've memorized a lot of verses of Scripture, memorized a lot of the Bible, and really I haven't. Um, it's just from reading and meditating and studying the Word, it's, it's down in my spirit. It's down in, inside. It's in my spirit. And when the Bible talks about our heart, you know, it's not talking about that, that, that organ there in your chest that's pumping blood through your body. Amen? It's talking about your spirit man, your inner man, your inner being. And... Uh, to, to hide the Word in your heart when it's in your spirit, then the Holy Spirit can bring it out when, it's, when you need it. And, uh, you know, I, I have spent some time memorizing verses before and, and, and setting and just, just trying to memorize, but I found out that it's not what's in your head. It's what's in your heart. And when you got it down on the, on the inside of you, that it will be there when you need it. Amen? So he's saying to make the teachings of God's Word a vital part of your life and to tie it around your neck. Uh, it should be our heartbeat and our breath, the, the Scriptures, the Word of God, the powerful, life-giving value of the Word of God should be a part of our life all the time. Amen. Your Bible is your guide. Your Bible is your guard. He said, that the Word of God in our mind and in our heart is like a guide who leads us on a safe path and protects us from the attacks of the enemy. And as Vicki said, we are, we, we are facing attacks from the enemy all the time. But he said if we will bind the, the commands of God and the Word of God on our heart and in our, around our neck, that the Word of God will guide us and guard us from the attacks of the enemy. Amen? So what about that? How do you put the Word of God? What is that? You know, you know that he's not literally saying to take a Bible and get a piece of rope and tie it around your neck and wear it, right? Amen? So there's got to be some symbolism there. But um, as I said, I believe it's, it's talking the neck, the throat, talking about your breath. I believe that he's talking about the Word of God needs to be your very breath, your very heartbeat in, in every part of your being. I believe also that he is making reference to the, to the fact that if the Scriptures are in your heart and, and they're a part of your life and you've made them a priority, that it will control the direction of your you know, your neck, listen, you, you all know this, you, you know, the neck controls the head, doesn't it? Amen. And, uh, you know, um, when you look, you know, you, you look. So how many times does the Bible admonish us, the Word of God, especially in Proverbs, to keep our eyes straight ahead? 
To not look to the right hand or look to the left, but to stay focused on what's straight ahead. Because, see, on the right hand and on the left is temptation and enticement to sin. And he's saying the commandments of God, if they're tied around your neck, figuratively speaking, they'll keep your, they'll keep your head straight. They'll keep your eyes straight. They'll keep you looking straight ahead, focused on God and the things of God and living for God. And that's what we need today. You know, my, we can't. Cannot, ladies and gentlemen, be influenced by the world and the things of the world. And there's enticements out there, as we'll see here coming up. There's enticements and temptation and allurements to sin and to sinful pleasure today. But you know where the child of God, what the child of God needs to be doing? We need to be looking straight forward and straight ahead with our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Filled up with the Word of God and established on the commandments of God. And I don't care what they say about God's Word. I don't care what they say today about the commandments of God, how that they're, uh, you know, archaic and they're out of touch with today. This book, this Bible doesn't need to be changed. It is relevant for us today. God gave it to us, and He's not changing His mind about what He said one iota. Amen. So get the Word of God on the inside of you. Notice he said, notice he said that the Word of God, the commandments of God would be like a friend who counsels us along the way. He said, when you roam, the commandments of God will lead you in verse 22. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak to you. So the Bible is like a friend who counsels us, who guides us, who leads us uh, every day, every day. Amen. Praise God. All right? And then he said this in verse 23. He said, For the commandment, I love this, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Notice he talks about the Word of God, the commandment being a light. Being a lamp. Um, in the 119th Psalm, the psalmist David said the same thing. He said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isn't that right? The Bible says, and also in that Psalm 119, it says, The entrance of your word gives light. So, uh, you know, in order to keep us, uh, to keep us, from darkness, we have to have light. Amen? How do you dispel darkness? You turn on the lights, don't you? You know, I come in here uh, when I'm here by myself, and I'll come in here to do something, to pray or whatever, and open those sanctuary doors and come in. Folks, let me tell you, it's dark in here. I told you about one time up here on the platform trying to pray, and I had the sconces on, but I had them real low, and it was, and I, and I, and I walked off the platform. I just was praying, walked, walked off, and uh, it's a wonder I didn't break my neck. The Holy Ghost had to have His hand on me because I couldn't see. It was dark. Amen. And uh, but I'll open those doors and come in, and it's just dark in here. Well, I don't walk in those doors and say, "I rebuke you, darkness, in the name of Jesus, you leave." 
because that wouldn't do any good because it's still dark. I could scream at the darkness. I could holler at the darkness. I could, you know, I could rebuke the darkness, but the darkness ain't going nowhere. But, boy, if I'll just reach back there on that little panel back there where those white switches are and hit those buttons, the darkness doesn't argue with me. The darkness doesn't refuse to go because the light comes on and the light dispels the darkness. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he said that the word, and Solomon is saying that the commandments of God and the word of God are our light. It's a light and it is a lamp. Amen. So if you see, that's how important the word is. Because if we'll, we'll, you know, if we'll immerse ourselves in the scripture and we'll read the scripture and we'll, we'll, we'll let the Holy Spirit teach us the scripture, you'll never walk in darkness. If you make this book a priority, folks, you'll never, ever, ever, ever walk in darkness. Amen. I know there's people today. Listen, there's folks today that profess to be in the light, but they're in the dark. John says it this way in 1 John 1. Notice what he says. This message, and this is 1 John 1 and 5. He said, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that, here it is, that God is what? Light. And in him, in God, is what? No darkness at all. If we say, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But look at verse 7. And, 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 and I've, you know, as that's the point that I want to bring out. One of the points is that, that, that just for a person just to say, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living for the Lord. It's good to say that, but if you say that and make that profession and you're in darkness, that's a false profession. Is that right? You gotta you gotta back the you know the the profession up with some action. So if you're if you're really truly born again and saved, we will be walking and living in the light. What is the light? He said, your commandments. Oh, hallelujah. Your commandments are a lamp. Your commandments are a light, and your word is a lamp. Amen. So how do you walk in the light? Notice verse 7. I'm still in 1 John 1. And first, verse 7 says, but if we, talking to the believers to the church, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin so praise God how do you walk in the light what is the light Jesus is the light the word of God is the light so to walk in the light you got to be walking and living in accordance with the holy Bible the holy scriptures not the Quran not some you know um, kind of, uh, of Eastern mysticism, I'm talking about living according to the light of God's holy word, walking in it and living in it. And as long as you walk in the light, listen, I love this verse, 1 John 1, 7, because as long as you're in obedience to the light that you have from the word of God, 
When you're reading the Bible, you're applying the Bible, you're living the Bible out. Do you know what that verse says? As you're walking in that light, there is, see I'm about to shout now, there is a continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus that is going on in your life 24-7. Glory to God. That, my friend, is some awesome news. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm, you know, you, you put the Lord first. You walk in the light. And he said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. It's kind of like the fluid in your eye that's continually cleansing and washing, keeping your eye clean. Every time you blink, well, every time you take a step in your, as you're walking in the light with your faith in Christ and the finished work of the cross, hallelujah, putting the Word of God into practice in your life, there's a continual cleansing of the blood. You know, the devil, here we go, the devil tries his best to work on Christians to make you feel inferior, to make you feel unworthy, to bring condemnation on you, tell you you ain't fit for nothing. And, and listen, we all have times when we miss it, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we falter, and when we fail. But you know what? If we'll confess those sins, he goes on in verse 9 to tell us that in First John 1, if we'll confess those sins and turn from them, he'll forgive us of those sins, amen, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but then just keep on walking in the light and the blood's cleansing you. But, but, but the point I wanted to make, listen, if you're walking, are you listening to me? If you're walking in all the light that you know and you have, there's a continual cleansing of that blood in your, in your life. Continual washing of the blood. There went the basket. Praise God. So don't let the, the enemy condemn you. If you're walking in the light of God's Word, you are cleansed and clean by the blood of Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. Man, that is worth the price of admission getting in tonight, wasn't it? Amen. So if we listen to God's voice in His Word, we won't fall for the flattery and the temptation of the enemy. And so Solomon goes on here to talk about what keeping the Word of God and walking in the light of God's Word and tying it around our neck and binding it upon our heart, what, what that will prevent in our life and what it will keep us from. And notice what he says here. We're in verse 24, okay? We're going to get through this by the grace of God. <laughs> verse 24 let me, let me read 23 to, to go into verse 24. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are a way of life. And let me just stop there and say this. That instruction and reproof and discipline is a way of life. Amen. I know people say, you know, I had somebody tell me one time, and I've told you this before. They told me, they said, I don't, we don't like rules. I don't like rules. I don't want to hear about any rules. And people today, you know, that say, don't tell me what to do. Don't try to tell me how to live. I'm going to live my own life and do my own thing. You know what? That's going to cause a lot of problems in, in some folks' life that have that attitude because, because being reproved and getting instruction and discipline is a way of life. 
And so we do get used to it. Amen. And, and conform and submit ourselves to the, to the discipline, the instruction, and the reproof that comes through the Word of God. See, that's how God corrects us. Right? That's how God, how does God chasten us? How does He give us a whooping? How does He chase? You know what chastening means? I think we talked a little bit about that in the third chapter, but, but chastening is, is, is child training, and it's correction, and it's discipline. That's what, that's what chastening is. How does God chasten a, a believer? He chastens us and disciplines and corrects us with this Word and by the Holy Spirit. He's not going to chasten you with uh, COVID-19 or with cancer or, uh, you know, with some kind of something like that. He's going to correct you as a son and daughter of God. He will correct you by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Now, if you resist that correction and that discipline and that chastening and get over in disobedience and rebellion to God, you can open yourself up to other attacks of Satan. You're out from under. You're not in the light anymore. You're out from under the protection of God. All right, got to move on. That's not, I just had to throw that in there. So what does it keep us from? Notice verse, verse 24. He says, um, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon the precious life. So in these verses, he's talking about how to avoid. By keeping the Word of God and the promises of God, we can avoid a sinful, immoral lifestyle. To keep and follow the teaching of God's Word will protect us from evil, from sin, and from immorality. It will keep us from false teaching. It will keep us from false doctrine. That's how important it is to follow the teachings of the Word of God. And remember, Solomon is teaching this to his son. He's, he's trying to instruct his son and say, here's what's awaiting you out here in the world. But if you'll take the, the commandments that, that I and your mother have taught you and trained you in and bind them around your neck and, and your heart and tie them around your neck, then they will keep you when you're walking in that light. They'll protect you from the seductress, from the evil woman that flatters. Now, he's talking about the dangers here, of course, of, of sexual immorality, the dangers of adultery, of, of being led astray by, you know, um, by a harlot and committing sexual sin. And he's saying, you know, he's saying, you know, the the Word of God will keep you from that. But not just only that sin, but I believe that it's a picture here of how that God will protect. The Word of God will protect us and give us the power not to give in to lust and to allurements of the world and to the things that are going on in the world today. And we need that today. Do you know there are people that are falling away from the faith today? There are people
people today that one time knew the Lord and one time served the Lord. And even some that one time preached the gospel that have yielded to the allurements of the world and have drifted away and have turned their back on God. And some have even, even publicly renounced their Christian faith. Some that used to preach the gospel. What's wrong, ladies and gentlemen? There's a problem. Does that have to happen? Something went wrong somewhere in their spiritual life and in their walk. And pastors, as a pastor, I get concerned with folks. You know, I want to see people. I've told you this, that my prayer, every time I pray for this church every day, I pray for y'all every day. And uh, my prayer is that you will that you'll bear the, the, the fruit of righteousness, that you'll walk worthy of the Lord, that you'll please God, that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That you'll be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what I, I pray those things for for you. I want, you know, I, I want to do my best by the help of the Holy Spirit to teach the Word of God and to teach truths that are not, that are, that are difficult to teach and to, that are difficult to talk about and that are not popular to talk about today. Because I want you blessed and I want you to make heaven and I want you to stay in the light and keep those commandments and time. If I can, if I can get a a Holy Ghost necktie tonight and tie these commands. That's what I'm trying to do is tie them around your neck so there'll be a lamp and a flashlight to lead you and to keep you from the sin and the immorality that is in the world today. And so, you know, we can't never get the idea, oh, I'm big, strong, super spiritual, giant man, Christian. Amen. Ain't no devil can take me out. Glory to God. Well, listen, don't, don't put that confidence and that faith in you and in yourself. You put that faith in Christ, and you let Jesus know every day that if I don't have you, I'm apt to fall. If I don't have you, Holy Spirit, I'm apt to miss it. I need you. My prayer, that's my prayer every day. Lord, I need you to guide me today. I ask you to give me wisdom today. I ask you to give me direction today. I claim the strength and the power of the Holy Ghost, and I thank God every day for putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and clothing me with the full armor of God that you need and we need every Every single day to do spiritual warfare and to combat the attacks of the enemy that come our way. There are fiery darts of the wicked that are being fired at you and will be fired at you tomorrow. But do you know what? You have you have something that will quench those fiery darts of the wicked. You have something today that will extinguish every one of them and it's called the shield of faith. And Paul said, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith we shall quench every fire fiery dart of the wicked one. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in the blood. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus. It's faith in, in his promises. It's in his word. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen. Woo. And it's based on the promises of the word of God. Hallelujah. James said that we are tempted, every one of us, each one of us is tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. So there will be enticement to pull us away. And he talks here about the seductress, the flattering tongue of the seductress. I wrote, I penciled a little note in my Bible today when I was looking at that, and I said, I wrote down, Satan is a smooth talker. 
Huh? How many knows that? Oh, didn't he talk smooth to Eve in the garden? Huh? Yeah, he's a smooth talker. And he knows how to flatter. Uh, and, 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 and he says in verse 24, from the, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. And he says, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. Notice those words. To, to allure you, to flatter you. And uh, also wrote down here that sin is appealing. Satan makes sin, sin, the word that has the hiss of the serpent in it, sin, Satan makes it look appealing to the eye. He makes it look appealing and pleasurable. And it does, there, are, there is some pleasure to, uh, you know, there's some fleshly pleasure in sin. But boy, it's short-lived. You know what? It's short-lived. The pleasures of sin, Hebrews 11 says that the pleasures of sin are only for a season. Only for a season. And, uh, but that's how seductive and that's how flattering and that's how alluring that Satan is. And so he's using the, the, um, the typology, the illustration here of a, of a harlot, how a, how a harlot would, would allure a, a young man to have sexual relations with her. He, he, he's talking about that allurement to sin. And, you know, he uses a harlot here, and it's, it's, it's interesting because the Bible teaches us that, 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 that we as Christians are married to Christ. Paul talks about that, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, or 2 Corinthians, but he says that we are, he said, Paul said, and here was his desire for the Corinthian church, he said that I will, pre- will present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So that church was to keep herself only to Christ and not to have any illicit affairs or relationships with the things of the world. And there is a thing called adultery that we're, uh, that we're all aware of, but there is also a spiritual adultery that so many people commit today. And that you know what spiritual adultery is? Well, number one, it's, trying, it's, it's placing your faith in anything other than Jesus Christ and the cross for your salvation and for your sanctification. But it's also, also spiritual adultery includes trying to have a relationship or being married Let me put it this way, being married to Christ and having an affair with the world. I figured that'd get a lot of shouts and amens. But that's the truth. James said, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we can't have a relationship with Christ and the, the, the world system, things of the world. You can't be saved and involved in the things of the world and sin at the same time. It don't work that way. And I know preachers, a lot of them, there are many that are preaching that, but there are a lot of churches that don't uh, say anything about that. A lot of churches today that say, you know, we don't want to hear anything about sin. We don't want you to mention that word because we're all saved and we're going to do what we want to. 
And yeah, well, you know, anybody can do what they want to. But we need to know that Satan makes sin look irresistible. He makes it look beautiful. He makes false doctrine seem amazingly attractive and to allure us away. That's why we must stay full of God in these last days. Praise God. Amen. Notice what he says here. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress, do not, verse 25, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you by her eyelids. For the, by the means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon the precious life. So he's talking there about the allurement to sin and uh, how sin will, will, will lure a person in how Satan will lure a person into sin and um, the consequences. So he's talking now about the consequences of sin. And look what he says in verse 27. Now, of course, he's talking to his son, okay, about not getting involved with harlots or, or in an adulterous relationship or with another man's wife or being involved with uh, an illicit, immoral affair. And I think we've said this before, that all sex outside of marriage is sin. Is that right? I mean, is that what the Bible says? I didn't just make that up. And I know that the, the, um, the culture today is not, doesn't believe that. The culture today doesn't agree with that. They, you know, the culture today is we can live together. God knows we love one another, and as long as we're in love and we love one another, it doesn't matter. You know, we can, we can cohabitate. We can have sexual relations even if we're not married, and God will overlook it. Let me tell you, listen, and I know nobody here is doing that, but, but, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But just let me know that they're teaching that in some, you know, some some people are teaching that, and, and, and it's okay in a lot of settings, but in the Bible, it's not okay. There are consequences to sin, to all sin. Amen? I got two amens. <laughs> That's why I like just teaching through this, because we can get down where the rubber meets the road and get down to the nitty-gritty, amen, <laughs> what, what the Word of God actually teaches us. But know the consequences, and he gives the consequences of immorality and of sin, of any, and, and this deals with any kind of sinful lifestyle. Look, he says this, and again, he's dealing with his son, talking to his son about an adulterous affair, and he says, can a man take fire into his bosom? And his clothes not be burned? What's the answer to that question? Huh? Rhetorical question. What's the answer to that question? Can you, can you sitting around the campfire just reach down and pick up one of those blazing logs and hug it up real close and not burn yourself and your clothes? Well, no. See, and that's the answer to the question is no. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 28, he says, can one walk on hot coals? And his feet not be seared? What if I just kicked my flip-flops off when I'm out there, you know, on the campsite and got in the middle of the campfire and just do a little, little dance jig right there on top of them hot coals of that campfire and then say, look, my feet didn't get burned. No, that don't happen, does it? Be scorched, seared. 
So he's saying, no, you can't walk on hot coals in your feet and get, not get burned. Well, I know some of these guys in Eastern mysticism and all that that did it. That's all demonic. All right. Come on, walk on hot coals in his feet, not get burned. No. No. You will get burned. Amen. You play with sin, and you will get burned. That's, that's the thought of the night right there. Boy, that's profound, isn't it? But it's so true. None of us will escape if we indulge ourselves in sinful activity. And then he goes on to say, who is he? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. So he's telling his son here, he's telling us through the Word of God that committing adultery, committing sin, living a sinful lifestyle, getting involved in the things of the world is like playing with fire. We will get burned. It's unavoidable. Fire causes excruciating pain. Fire leaves scars. And that's what happens. Sin leaves scars. Sin causes pain and remorse and heartache and trouble. It's like I said, it's fun for a while, but comes the time when folks have to pay the piper. So we've got to flee from that. You know, the Bible says flee. He told Paul told Timothy, flee fornication. Uh, shun the very what? The very appearance of evil. Stay away from it. Shun it. Get as far away from it as you can get. He said that, that in verse 33, he said that, that wounds and dishonor will that person get. And his reproach will not be wiped away. Hallelujah. Let me read here from verse. We'll, we'll just finish this up. I got, it's what I got. Oh, I got, I got about seven minutes. Can you handle it? Huh? Can you handle it? <laughs> Amen. Verse 30, let's jump there. People do not, not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. What's he talking about here? It says he may have to give up all of his substance, all the substance of his house. Then he says, whosoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. See, in Bible times, if a man was caught stealing something, he had to make restitution, right? He had to repay. Here the Scripture said he had to pay back. If he stole something from someone, he had to repay him seven times. I'm praying God get a hold of them guys, stole that catalytic converter, and make them buy a seven of them. <laughs> Amen. But he had to repay seven times what he stole. Even if it took everything he had, and that's what Solomon's saying here. So what the word's saying, even if it took everything he had, he had to make restitution. The thief that stole had an opportunity to make amends for his, for his theft, right? That's what he's saying. But notice what he's saying. It's not that way with those who get involved in adultery and fornication 
in illicit affairs. He says, he says those who commit adultery, it's what he's saying, that those who commit adultery cannot make restitution for the offended, for, to the offended spouse. They cannot give back what they've taken. If someone has an affair or a fling or whatever, and, and, and it says, well, and they get caught, well, you need to make restitution. How are you going to do that? You can't. You can't, you can't give back what's been taken, what's been stolen. That sexual, that, that illicit sexual act cannot be undone, and the damage is irreparable. You can't make restitution to that wife or to that husband of that spouse that the act was committed against. Is, do you see what he's saying here in an affair? Well, will God forgive the person if they repent? Well, of course he will. But the damage has been done. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's that way, listen, it's that way in, in any kind of sin we get involved in, whatever it may be. The damage that sin does, God, yeah, does he forgive? Yes, he forgives. Yes, he's merciful. If a person comes to him and repents and asks forgiveness and turns from that, you can't just ask forgiveness and then keep doing it. You've got you to gotta ask forgiveness and then turn away from it and repent. But yes, God forgives. The blood of Jesus will cleanse. But the hurt and the harm and the damage that's done, and right now we're talking about if it's, if it's an affair, an adulterous affair between a, a man and a woman, a, someone else's husband, someone else that, you know, that, uh, someone's wife that they're not married to, the hurt and the harm and the damage to the family and to that relationship Sometimes, most of the time, it's never healed. And if it is, it's, it's not easily healed. Amen? There's, there's nothing any, any more damaging to a marriage, to a relationship, to a home and a family than unfaithfulness of a spouse. I know I'm preaching to the choir, okay, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But that is true. There's, there's many times irreparable damage that is done to that family. The offended spouse that is the victim of, 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 of her husband or, or, the, or the wife, the, the, the mate that's, that's did this terrible thing and committed this act, that offended spouse can offer forgiveness to her husband and, and, and should if he repents, but it's not... But it's not always easy, and that trust has to be regained. Do you, do you understand how difficult that situation and it happens? It happens out here in the world every day, and it happens in the church world much more than it ever should happen in the church world. It happens among believers and among Christians, and it happens among preachers and in pulpits. And it shouldn't be that way. Paul said that fornication should never be once even named among you as, as are becoming saints of God. The lifestyle changes. Those wounds, it's said in verse 33, it's wounds and dishonor and his reproach will not be wiped away. Those wounds that adultery inflict are deep and permanent. God, yes, will blot out the sins of those who repent, but the marks that are upon that person's character and reputation will remain, and no amount of money can restore what's been taken from that offended spouse. Amen? 
He said he will accept. Look, for the jealousy, here's the thing. When there's an affair committed, somebody's going to have to deal with that offended husband if he finds out. And he might have, he might have a uh, 357 or 45. Amen? Or 9 millimeter. I mean, the piper's going to have to be paid. And that's happened. How many times do you know that's happened in the world today? That offended husband, he's not going to take, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, boom, make my day. <laughs> Praise God. No amount of money is going to restore what's been taken from that offended spouse. That sin attacks the very core of the marriage relationship. It attacks, and here's what's so 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 terrible about about affairs and adultery is because it does attack the very core of that relationship that marriage relationship what is the core of that marriage relationship between one man and one woman let me stress that amen what what is it what is it that that is so that is so special there the it's the intimacy that belongs exclusively to that married couple no one else is to enter in to that intimacy between that husband and that wife. They have become united together as one flesh. Are you listening to me? And that's why it's so diabolical, so terrible, because you destroy. Adultery breaks that intimacy in that home and in that marriage. See, God has ordained marriage to be a permanent, lifelong bond between that man and that woman. And Jesus, when he was confronted by the Pharisees, and he was asked by the Pharisees, you know, and he, they, were, they were tempting him, and they said, you know, can, can a man divorce his wife for any cause, for any reason, for just any reason? And, and that's what they were doing, you know. If she burned his toast... That's the way it was in, in, in the days of Jesus in, in the New Testament time. That's the way the Pharisees, they had all their own laws. If she burned his toast or didn't get his eggs cooked right in the morning, what? You're gone. You're out of here. Divorce time. Getting rid of you, getting another one. Well, I know we laugh at that, and that's funny, but do you understand that divorce is so prominent in the world today that it's almost like that in America? And they said to Jesus, can we divorce just for any reason? And Jesus, Jesus answered to them and he said, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them? Notice these are the words of Jesus. Traditional marriage, male and female. So when the, okay. So for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, what he say? Let not man separate. And someone entering in to a marriage relationship in an adulterous affair separates that. It rips it apart. It's against God. Jesus went on to tell them when they asked him, why did, Moses, why did Moses command to give a writing of divorcement to divorce her? Jesus said it was because of the hardness of your heart. He said it wasn't that way in the beginning. And Jesus, 
told them, he said, whosoever divorces his wife, and notice, except for sexual immorality, a marriage another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The point that I'm wanting to make here in all of that is this. Sexual immorality violates the one flesh intimacy of marriage. And Jesus recognized that in those scriptures. And he recognized that many people cannot continue to live with an adulterous spouse. And fornication was given, sexual immorality was given by the Lord Jesus as a biblical a biblical reason for divorce because the marriage vows have been broken. That intimacy has been broken. Does that mean if, if, a, if a person's spouse commits adultery or commits fornication, they have to get a divorce? No. They can work at reconciliation. They can repent. And, and if it's a Christian husband and wife, they should repent. They should make things right. They should re forgive one another. They should work at restoring that marriage. But sometimes it's not possible. And Jesus said that it breaks that covenant. And the expectation, his expect, ex exception, Jesus' exception to God's perfect will and plan for marriage underlines the irreparable damage that is done by adultery and fornication. And so Solomon's teaching his son that. The Bible teaches that. Thank God we got good, strong marriages here at Abundant Life. I'm, I'm thankful for that. The Brewers, 50 years. Me and Vicky's coming up on, uh, in, a, in five months, we'll be 49 years. Amen. Mark and Denise, how many? 43 years. See, we got strong marriages. But do you know what? Teaching and preaching the Word of God will keep those marriages strong. Amen. I counsel with uh, young couples that come when I can get them to come. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I have several sessions with them, and, and we, we go over some principles of, of marriage and uh, the four fundamental laws of love and the four fundamental laws of, of, um, of, of, a, of a healthy marriage. It, it, we talk about a marriage, and I've met with uh, Corey and Katie once. We've got a couple more times to get together. But a marriage on the rock, building a marriage on the rock. Oh, I'm five minutes over. Building that marriage on the rock. And uh, based on Matthew chapter 7. You know, the, the home built on the rock will stand the storm. The home built on the sand won't. Terry and Darlene, how many years? 43? You're 43. Okay, see? Oh, let's ask Betty Hull. 69 years. Glory be to God. See, it can work, folks. Amen? You, you can make it. Not saying, you know. That marriage on the rock, there's some storms come and storms blow, but when it's founded on the rock, on Christ, on the Word, on biblical principles, that marriage will last and stand. Amen. Too many, too many young couples enter into it with the attitude of, well, let's try it see. You know, it's easy to get a divorce if it don't work. Don't. No, that's the wrong way to enter. You're entering, you're making those covenants for, that covenant, those promises, till death do us part.
Amen. All right, did we have fun tonight? I'm going to close. Father, thank you tonight for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. I pray tonight you'll just uh, let the word of God sink deep down in our hearts tonight. We just pray for victory tonight and, and strength and power over all temptation that would come our way, that we'll walk in that light as you are in the light. Bring us back here, Lord, we pray, Sunday morning for a wonderful time in the presence of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.